Isaiah chapter 56. I do greet you in the name of the Lord. Thank you for joining us on our midweek service. Isaiah chapter 56, verse 6. This is the word of the Lord. And the foreigners who joined themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcast of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated this evening. Let me pray. <clears throat> Our Lord and God, we, we come before you and we ask, Father, for your grace and for your mercy upon our ears and our hearts and our minds. We ask, Lord, as the, the sermon goes forth as a means of grace, that you would give us, Lord, a desire to obey and a passion, Lord, to, to seek you and devote ourselves to prayer. I decrease so that you may increase. I become less so that you alone can become more. Be glorified, for to you alone be the glory. For the sake of Christ we pray. Amen. <clears throat> In Isaiah chapter 56, <clears throat> the prophet Isaiah is speaking of a time when eunuchs and foreigners would be welcomed by God as his own children. <clears throat> When those who were considered to be foreigners would be given the same rights and privileges as the Levites. <clears throat> you should be asking, who are the Levites? What were their privileges? They served as priests of God. They had the privilege to approach, at, because they were priests, the presence of God. God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah of a time when even those who were considered to be foreigners would be given the great privilege of priests to come into the presence of God. Who are the servants of verse 6? They are the ones who place their faith not in their lineage, not in physical bloodlines, but rather those who place their faith in Christ and in Christ alone, the seed of Abraham. As a result of their faith that is given to them by the grace of God, verse 7 these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. God's grace through faith gave these that were formerly considered foreigners the right to have communion and fellowship with God. They had been given grace to be in the house of God. And in the house of God they experienced communion with God and communion with one another. Communion with the saints. Verse 7, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Our Lord gathers the outcast. He gathers the elect. He gathers his sheep and he brings them into one community. He brings them into one family of faith. Together they enjoy communion with God and communion with one another. 
the Lord Jesus Christ, he quoted this promise in Matthew chapter 21, verse 13, and Mark 11, 17, when he entered the temple. And what did he do? He drove out all those who were buying and selling in the, in the, in the temple. The house of God was not meant for thieves and robbers, but rather for the people of God to enjoy communion with God and also to enjoy communion with one another. When we study the scriptures, we see that the early church followed the example of Christ. They were committed to prayer. We read in Acts 1.14 that on the day of Pentecost, the church gathered together in an upper room. And what did they do? What were they doing? They were praying. Acts 2.42 tells that the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and what? To prayer. Paul commanded and encouraged the church of Thessalonica in his first letter in the fifth chapter, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pray. Brothers and sisters, do you pray? Do you pray? What, what, what is prayer? Why do you pray? When do you pray? How do you pray? Why pray at all? How many of you believe that God is sovereign? Completely in control. That he is in control of the heavens and the earth. That all things happen because God is sovereign over all things. And if that's the case, then why pray? Since the powerful God is unlimited in all of his power and he loves us, why even do we need to pray if he's going to have his will either way? He knows all of our needs. He knows all of our longings. He knows all of our desires even before we know them. He knows them better than we know them ourselves. And yet, he commands us to pray. He is able to accomplish all of his holy will without our prayers, and yet he is pleased. He is pleased to make prayer one of the means of grace in the believer's life. And I hope you tonight see why. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus assumes that you and I will pray. He says, not if, but when you pray, pray like this. Not if, but when you pray, pray like this. We should be, pre- we should be praying. Brothers and sisters, refusing to pray, prayerlessness is practical atheism. Refusing to pray, not praying, you might as well be an atheist because you are practicing the practice of atheism by refusing to pray. You know what an atheist is. It is one who believes in no God. The one who does not pray is practicing the practice of an atheist. One who does not believe in God. Prayer should be as native to the child of God as breathing is natural to our lives. Prayer should be as natural to the believer as breathing is natural to our lives. If we truly are regenerated, we can no more not pray than we can no more not breathe. You should be praying. We should be praying. It should be a part of our our normal lives as believers. A healthy church member is one who is devoted to prayer. What is a healthy church member? This is our series 
last week. It is one who is growing, one who is maturing. This week, a healthy church member is one who is devoted to prayer. Devoted to prayer. Are you devoted to prayer? Let us uh, begin tonight with a a simple explanation of prayer that I pray that you see is simple. Number one, here's our, our first point, what is prayer? I wonder what you would say if a newly converted believer asked you that most important question. Friend, I've just been converted by the Holy Spirit. Please explain to me this, this prayer. Please explain to me, explain to me the meaning of prayer. What kind of explanation would you give? What would you say? You and I have heard many different different definitions of prayer in our lifetime. Most of the definitions that you and I have heard have summarized prayer as simply talking to God. You ever heard anybody say that to you? What is prayer? Or they may even say to you, prayer, it's not that hard. It's just talking to God. We've all heard that. Just talk to God, someone might say. That's all you have to do. And in a sense, there's an element of truth to that statement. Talking is involved in our prayer lives. But talking, when we come to pray, has increasingly reduced or become reduced to being somewhat casual. Listen to me when I'm saying this. We have domesticated our communion with God. And in the process, we have lost all truth of who God is and who we are. We have, in our own minds, we've brought God down to our own level. We've made Him like an old friend that we have a casual conversation with. And that's our understanding of prayer. We've domesticated God because we fundamentally misunderstand the nature of God. And we fundamentally misunderstand our own frame and our own nature, who He is and who we are. You're not just talking to God. It is much greater, grander and deeper than that. Now, some of you might fall asleep because you don't pray. Some of you might not like this because you don't pray. But this should be as natural to your Christian lives as breathing, so all ears should be perked. Prayer has been turned into a me-centered show. It has been turned into uh, prayers about all of our wants, all of our needs, and all of our expectations about what we expect God to do on our behalf. And we expect Him to act on every single word. That's our idea of prayer. Bring to Him your needs. Bring to Him your wants. Expect Him to act. If you don't, you don't have enough faith. The tragedy is that more has been made about the act of prayer than the person to whom you are actually praying to, namely God. So much has been put into formulas of prayer. Seven steps to prayer. Twelve steps to prayer. The postures of prayer. The hour of prayer. And the person to whom you're praying to has been completely lost. What then is prayer? What is true prayer? I would submit to you that prayer is communion and fellowship with God. Prayer is communion and fellowship with God. Now don't misunderstand. I thought communion was what we did every Sunday at the Lord's table. Communion is not isolated to the Lord's table. But communion is where we together 
fellowship with our God. Prayer is communion and fellowship with God. Brothers and sisters, communion and fellowship with God is not something reserved for those who have especially been enlightened. Meaning, that it is not only for those who have reached a, a certain level of spiritual enlightenment. And it is also, communion and fellowship with God is also not something that is for every single person without distinction. Meaning, not every single person has communion and fellowship with God. He does not hear those who are not his own. Don't say to an unbeliever, just got to pray, brother, God will take care of it. They're an unbeliever. You must first tell them, repent and turn from your sins. God does not hear the prayers of those who do not trust and put their faith in him. Communion and fellowship with God, listen, is the birthright of every believer. The gospel initiates every believer by the new birth into fellowship with the Father and the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is through the the faith in Christ that we have fellowship and communion with God. This communion, this fellowship with God has been provided for the believer by grace and through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is only through grace and through faith in Christ that you can have communion and fellowship with, with God. Amen. Amen. By the grace of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, God has given to us what we lost in Adam. Communion and fellowship with God. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no communion with God. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no fellowship with God. 2 Corinthians 5.18, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is what Christ promised to his disciples. In John 14.23, Christ speaks of his Father and himself coming by the Spirit's new covenant presence to make their home in the lives of his people. Amen. In this intimate picture, This is mirrored in the risen Lord's words to the church of Laodicea. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. This is fellowship and communion with God. John Owen comments on on this verse in his book, Communion with God. And he says this, concerning that verse in Revelation. This certainly is fellowship. Oh, I know not what fellowship is. Christ will sup, Christ will eat with his believers. He refreshes himself with his one graces to them. By his spirit bestowed on them. The Lord Christ is exceedingly delighted in tasting of the sweet fruits of the Spirit in His saints. It is striking. It is humbling to hear John Owen again and again highlight the Savior's delight in what? Communion with His people. The Savior delights in communing and fellowshipping with His people. Wrap your minds around that. Now, don't forget our tendency though. Our tendency is to find out, now what does that mean for me then? What about me? What does that mean for me then, this communion, this fellowship? We must beware 
of the temptation to not think of ourselves first when thinking what it means to have fellowship and communion with God. We must silence our minds that may already be asking, what do I do then? How long do I commune with God? How much time do I spend in this communing? When do I commune? What posture do I use when communing? If we are to truly enjoy communion with God, we must first learn, and learn this well, that communion and fellowship with God is initiated by God, not you. Communion and fellowship with God is initiated by God, not you. Not you. As is true in all theology, from Him and through Him are all things, and to Him, to Him, to Him be glory, Romans 11.36. To Him be glory. God initiates communion with, it, with you. You don't com- initiate communion with Him. It's Him first. This is the work of God upon unworthy sinners like you and I. We are to be like the publican who beats his breast seeking mercy of God. Not like the coming, not like the, the, the Pharisee who saw himself as the gift from, to God. But God is our gift. What does the Pharisee say? I thank you that I'm not like all these other people. He was making himself out to be a gift, as it were, to God where the publican sees himself as unworthy of even coming to God. Jesus says about those two, one was justified, the other not. The one who sees himself as the initiator is the one who is rejected. The one who sees himself as not being worthy of initiation, that is the one that God draws. It is God who initiates fellowship. It is God who initiates communion. So when we come to Him, we come in humility. We who were once separated from God because of our sin can now approach His throne of grace. And by this this grace, by this gift, He gives us a gift of confidence when we come. He says, come boldly. Why Why are we able to come boldly? Because He has beckoned us. The person who just walks up into his presence as if he belongs there is the person that God pauses. Who do you think you are? But when he calls you, then you can come boldly. For the sake, though, of not losing anything in this translation, I want to take it a step further. Define, then, Pastor, communion. Define fellowship. Let's let John Owen do it. Our communion with God consists in his communication of himself to us and our returning to him with that which he requires and accepts. Flowing from that union which is Christ, which is in Jesus Christ, we have with him. What does that mean? It means this. Prayer is God's communication to us. Where? Here. Fellowship, prayer, communion with God is God's communication to us in His Word. And what is our response? It is obedience to God in what He has said. That, my dear friends, is true fellowship and communion with God. Knowing what God has said and living a life seeking to obey it. Knowing what God has said And living a life seeking to obey it. This is the basis and foundation of communion with God. It is the basis and foundation of our union with Christ. 
By grace, believers have been vitally united to the Savior, married to Him who is the lover of our souls, our covenant King. Therefore, we must never see prayer as a duty. We must never see prayer as just another job that you have to accomplish in your Christian life. But we must rather view the wonder and the majesty of prayer and know that we are, are, are given access into His presence and we delight in knowing that by grace we have been given peace with God. You have been given what you did not formerly have. Peace with God. That you may now come and have communion and fellowship with Him. Holy God has united sinful men to himself through the perfect obedience of his Son who ransomed you by his blood. Therefore, you can now come and commune with your God. Therefore, you can now hear his will and obey it. You may now come and enjoy fellowship with God. He is now your Father. And you are now his true son. When you formerly were not. Don't let anybody tell you we're all God's children. No, we're not. Not until you have been brought by the grace of God and put your faith in his son. Then and only then will you be a child of God. How then shall we pray? What shall we pray? The Bible is clear. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Pray without ceasing. That's how you should pray. Romans 12.12 Be constant in prayer. Colossians 4.2 Continue steadfastly in prayer. A healthy church member is one who never ceases to pray because they are devoted to prayer. They never exit communication with God. They never exit communion with God. They never exit fellowship with God. You may say, how is that so? How do I never stop praying? Here's the answer to that. Are you ever to place the commands of God on the back burners of your mind? What did Owen say? Communion with God is knowing what God has said. And what's the other part? Obeying what he has said. Is there ever a time in your life that you were not consciously aware of what God has obeyed or commanded and seeking to obey it? The moment that you step out of seeking to obey the commands of God is the moment you, you break your communion and fellowship with God. It is the moment you cease praying. You hear that? When throughout your day, and your silence is deafening, when throughout your day, are you not aware of what God is and who God is in your life? That you would deviate and go a different direction that is opposite to who He is and who He has called you to be in your life? It is only then that you cease praying. It is only then that you are no longer constant in prayer. It is when you are seeking the will of God, seeking to obey God, seeking to glorify God. That is when you are not ceasing in your prayers. That is when you are not ceasing in your communion and fellowship with God. A healthy church member remains in prayer. We are to be constantly seeking to live lives that glorify God by being mindful of all that He has commanded. And listen, and not to save ourselves, not as a means of saving ourselves. You can't save yourself, we know that. But as a means of seeing that God is most glorified in my life when I seek to do what most honors Him, which is found in His Word. 
Amen. Are you awake? Or are you just completely convicted beyond despair? This is what it means to truly pray. Well, that's not what I've been raised with. I've been raised that I have an hour of prayer, that I just say all the things that I want. Well, you've been wrong. And whoever taught you was wrong. I've been wrong. And what a beautiful thing it is to be awakened by God, to understand what He truly means to have fellowship and communion with Him. How do we pray? The Bible says in Romans 8.26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in all our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We are to pray in the Spirit. Now, before your minds start speaking in tongues, let me pause you there. We've been raised to believe that this passage was referring to speaking in tongues. Not at all. Not the point at all. Read the context. There's a particular flow that brought us to that particular passage. It is speaking of if we endure the sufferings, that there is a hope of glory that we will see that is greater than these present sufferings that we are experiencing. And it is for that glory that we hope for. We, in all of creation, as Romans says, we yearn for that glory. We yearn for it. And yet, even as we yearn, even as we look forward to that glory that will be ours in Christ Jesus, in this present time we groan. We long for a day when, in the new heaven and the new earth, all will be restored to its original state of perfection. But in the meantime, our patience is imperfect. And we will fail because we are weak and feeble people. And the encouragement that the Apostle Paul gives us, just like he said in Romans 7.24, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? His groanings, his weaknesses. The Spirit of God helps him in those weaknesses. The Spirit of God helps him in those infirmities. The Spirit, of, the Spirit of God helps him when he does not know what to pray. And because the Spirit helps him, what does he say in the very next verse, verse 25? I thank God through Jesus Christ. Amen. In our weaknesses, we do not know how we should pray. Do you not know that if it were not for the grace of God, you would not be crying out to Jesus? He helps you in your weakness. If it were not for the grace of God, you would not be asking for repentance. He helps us in our weakness. If it were not for the grace of God, you would not be asking Him to help you through temptation. He, the Spirit of God, intercedes for us in the midst of our weaknesses. This is not for you to try to learn some other language that does not exist, by the way. It is for you to completely trust God when you are at your weakest and lowest point. That he will help you through that time of prayer when you don't know what to say. So great are our infirmities. So great are our ignorances that we do not even know what we should ask for sometimes. We don't know the half of the dangers of the world. Nor do do we know the half of our true wants. Therefore, we need to be helped by our ever-present helper, the Holy Spirit who gives us guidance, who shows us what He wants, what He desires, and strengthens us to pursue those things, even when we are weak. How many times have you wanted to quit? How many times have you wanted to give up? And in the midst of your, your wanting to give up, in the midst of your wanting to throw in the towel, how do you pray, but God help me through this? Because you have strength. 
don't deceive yourself. That is the Spirit of God praying for you when you are weak, when you don't know what to pray or how you ought to pray. He prays. When we don't know what to pray, when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit guides our wants. He guides our needs. He guides our desires. And He makes them mirror His wants, His desires, His needs that are revealed to us here. This is why Paul points to our weaknesses. We don't know what to pray. Verse 27 27 of that chapter, And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit, knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. When you pray in the Spirit, brothers and sisters, you are being helped along, aided by the Holy Spirit, who knows your weak hearts, who knows the will of God. He helps our prayers to be lined up with God's will. If you pray... If you pray, please, brothers and sisters, don't reduce your prayer to some memorized checklist. And as soon as you've checked off all of your checks, then you're done. That is not true prayer. That is not true fellowship and communion with God. Have you ever found yourself at a loss? What should I pray? If you found yourself at a loss, how should I pray? It is then that the Spirit Himself intercedes for us so that we may pray according to the will of God. But again, not some babble, not some, something indiscernible, but clarity from God's Word, clarity from the will of God. This is how the Spirit helps us in our prayers. A healthy church member depends on the Spirit of God to pray. And what should we pray for? Gosh, there is a myriad of things that we should pray for. There's a myriad of things that we should approach God in His Word for. And that is, that's the point. We pray for what God has commanded us to pray. Those of you who have, who have stopped coming to prayer, or those of you who came before, you, you have recognized or seen all of the different phases that we've gone through when it comes to prayer. And where have we arrived? We've arrived at, this passage says, we are to pray for this thing. So, brothers and sisters, we're going to pray right now for that thing. God gives us a directory on how we're to pray. On what we are to pray for. John Bunyan famously wrote, You can do more than pray after you've prayed. But you cannot do more than pray until you've prayed. You can do more than pray after you've prayed. But you cannot do more than pray until you've prayed. In God's great mercy, prayer truly is a means of grace. But listen, not prayer per se. It is not prayer that makes the difference. You've heard before, prayer changes things. No, God changes things. You've heard before that it is praying and having enough faith. It is not your prayer and it is not your faith. It is God. Prayer is believing, intercessory, constant pleading. It is one of the means of grace that God is pleased to use to advance His kingdom and to grow His church. But never forget, it is God who does the work. It is God who is the point of prayer. It is God who is our object of prayer. It is God who is the joy of prayer. With that said, what can we pray that will be within the will of God. 
Well, Luke 11, 54. Luke, Luke 11, 1 through 54. Pray that God is glorified. Pray that God provides. Pray that God forgives. Pray that we follow His example and forgive. Pray that the Lord keep us from sin and temptation. But that's all about you, isn't it? A little bit of God being glorified. But we spend a lot of time on God providing. You should be praying beyond yourself. As a member of the local church, and I pray that you are, you should be praying beyond yourself. Matthew 9, 36, pray that the Lord of the harvest send out laborers into his harvest. Pray that God raise up and send out shepherds. Healthy church members pray this way. Healthy church members pray for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And that the word of God goes forth with boldness and clarity. Pray for that. Let me ask you, stop. Are you praying for that? Why am I getting so hot? Are you praying for that? Right now in your own personal prayer lives, are you praying that God sends out people with His Word? And that, that as His Word goes, they go with boldness and they go with clarity. Are you even praying that in your lives? Are you praying for Miho and Niha? And that's it. How selfish. If we only pray that way, then we have a very small view of what the Christian life is all about. Me and my own. And if it's just me and my own, then you have no idea what it means to belong to a community of believers. Pray for all the saints. Ephesians 6.18 Pray for one another. Are you looking at the people in this church and asking God to protect them, to watch over them? Those of you who are members of this church, you have a member's directory. Go through it. Look at every single person on this list. Pray for them individually. Get their, their numbers are there. Text them. Go out to eat with them. Pray for them. They're here for you. You've got to be praying beyond yourself, though. These are people who are washed in the same blood as you. These are people who have been set apart by the grace of God just like you are. They are in need of encouraging petitions of God on, uh, for their behalf. By you. This Christian life is a family of faith. And we should see each other that way. If you're only praying for your own family, then who is really your, own, your family? Pray that God raise up and send out shepherds. Healthy church members pray this way. Pray for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Pray that way. Pray for those who are in authority. 1 Timothy 2, 1-3 encourages believers to pray for those who are in authority. That is from kings and presidents to mothers and fathers. To employers. God has placed them there. Pray for them because God has ordained that their position. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for those who are persecuting the church. Luke 6.28 commands that we bless those who curse us and pray for those who abuse us. Pray for the advancement of the gospel to go to the nations. And when the gospel goes, those who are opposing it would be cut to the heart by the gospel. Are you praying that way? You've got to see beyond this city. You've got to see beyond even your own street. Pray for your street. Pray for your city. Pray for your state. Pray for the nations. Healthy church members do that. These are dark days, brothers and sisters. They're just as dark as every age that rejects Christ. But we have been given a command to evangelize, calling sinners to repentance, to make disciples, to baptize. 
And what should be our greatest practice in all of those things? Or what should be as equally great in all of those things? That we unceasingly pray. That we unceasingly pray. What will show that we have completely depended on God and not ourselves? What is the thing that most shows that we depend on God, not on ourselves? It's not going out and having street debates. I'll tell you that. It's the time that we spend on our knees praying before God. Because there and only there displays, I cannot do this. I do not have the strength. I do not have the power. We need to be a people that are constantly on our face before God. Prayer. What we should, that's what we should be doing. And, and what should we be doing most often together? Praying. Praying. The visible church of God in this world is a pathetic shadow of what it should be. Whenever we look, unbelief. Wherever we look, unbelief, moral compromise, theological downgrade, social shallowness prevails in our world. The church is so bent on being relevant and staying modern, they cannot see just how pathetic it has become to the world who is watching. The church is often no more than a mirror image of the world that it is called to evangelize. We mimic their values. We celebrate and support their causes. Above all, we must pray, brothers and sisters. As churches gather, as we gather for this, in this local church, we must pray. Especially in these days, pray. Pray that we may uh, be light in this dark world. We must pray. As you and my children return to school, schools that are increasingly becoming more and more secular with pagan agendas, what do you do? Pray. As the demise of the family with uh, same-sex marriage being portrayed more and more, and it is becoming more and more acceptable, while the biblical worldview is being more and more rejected, we're being pushed further and further out to the fringes of society, what should we do? Shake our head. Pray. Not just by yourself. Pray with those of like faith. You need me and I need you now even more than ever. As a country is divided by parties and values, we must stand together and pray. Brothers and sisters, the early Christians, they devoted themselves to prayer. Together, corporate prayer was woven into their lifestyle as Christians. Corporate prayer, congregational prayer... It was not just for uh, the few enthusiastic Christians. The whole community of believers devoted themselves to prayer. It was inconceivable. I'm going to say this as slow as I can. It was inconceivable that truly converted people would not make every effort to be present when the whole church gathered to pray, it was inconceivable that they would not make every effort to gather with the others when they gathered for prayer. The commitment to corporate prayer is underscored 
by Luke in the book of Acts by saying they're devoted. Devoted. It was not merely a matter of showing up or, or praying as some sort of duty that was expected of you. These early Christians devoted themselves to prayer. They were passionately committed to prayer. And we have no way of knowing the precise mechanics of when or the where or even the how of these times of prayer. But what we do know is that those who were added to the church made the church's times of prayer a non-negotiable. It was a priority in their lives. As much as God's providences would enable them to be together. It was priority for them. It's understood. Family circumstances, work commitments may mean that at times, the church's set time for prayer, first and second Tuesday of the month, Sometimes we might have to miss. But the, fundam- the fundamental issue is not hindrances or providences that prevail us from, or prevent us from being there. But it is this. It's the unconcern of our hearts. It's the missing prayer and not caring. It's the distractions of other things and even good things. Perhaps you may be saying to yourself, you don't know how pressed I am, Pastor. How many family commitments I have. And those are good things. I need to be with my family. I need to spend time with my wife. I need to spend time with my children. You don't understand, don't I? Don't I understand? Because my wife and son are here with me as well. This is not to exalt myself. Life in general. Yours and mine. It's shaped by priorities. Conscience and subconscious. We make time for what we think is important. And by the show of this church, you don't think praying corporately is important. For our first century brothers and sisters, they were faced with hostility. They were faced with severe persecution. And yet, Corporate prayer was a priority for them. There would have been no better way to snuff them all out than when they all gathered. And yet, they all gathered. This is a manifest connection in the early chapters of Acts between the church at prayer and the church advancing with the gospel. The church that prays is a church that grows in power. And advances the gospel. A church that ignores prayer, that neglects corporate prayer, uh, uh, congregational prayer, that's going to be a weak church overall. Healthy church members, they are devoted to prayer. But I don't feel anything. That's our problem. We come seeking experiences rather than true fellowship with God that has been provided to us by the grace of God. I sat there last night during our prayer and I said this to my brother today. I could feel that sometimes we're thinking, when does this get good? When does this get fun? And what we're asking is really, when do the emotions begin to flow? I need to feel something. Oh God, don't seek that for the rest of your life. 
If you are constantly seeking, when does it get good? When do I start feeling things? When do emotions start to flow? You are going to be chasing the wind for the rest of your life. Prayer is not a feeling. It is an absolute truth that has been established by God in his word. Or communion and fellowship has been established by God in his word. Through grace and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have communion and fellowship with God. And you join with people of like faith, like beliefs, same truths. You are coming to God and together asking for God's will to be done in this church, in our lives, and in this world. Why would you miss that? Where else do you find that? Where else do you find people that you can pray together with and you are in agreement? How many times do you want to pray with people at work, but you know you, you, you believe completely different things? My wife has said this to me plenty of times where she's heard people pray, and they pray the most wild, outlandish things, and she feels so bad because they have such a crazy theology, and yet you could come together with a church that you are members with and hear right theology, right understanding of who God is and who we are, pray and agree and walk away saying, Amen, Lord, let it be done. Does anything change in prayer? Yeah. You. You change in prayer. What about all the stuff that I want? You change in prayer. God's will be done. Submit to that. And in submitting to the will of God, you will find yourself learning to accept so much in life as being God's divine plan for your life. Rather than avoiding church, avoiding prayer, avoiding reading his word because you think that somehow God has done you wrong because you prayed and God did not answer. No. You, I, change in prayer. I could go on and on. I was even thinking about making this more than one week. But we understand, I pray. Let me close. Our Lord and God, to you, we submit our lives. We ask that your will be done on earth, in our lives, in this church, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you, Father. Pray that you have strengthened our our resolve, our devotion, and that you have initiated to us communion and fellowship with you, and that we would now come to your throne of grace. For the glory of God and for the sake of Christ, we pray. Amen.